I want to invite you this morning to turn in your Bibles to Joshua chapter 24. We're going to we're going to spend an extended amount of time in this chapter this morning, kind of going through a story that's probably familiar to many of you. But as you're turning there, I want to once again wish you a happy new year. I know we're already a week into 2023. Some of you, maybe uh, you're at that point where you've already blown those New Year's resolutions. We're, you know, seven days in. Well, let's be honest. How many of you are still making New Year's resolutions? Does anybody still do that at this point in your lives? Anybody make a New Year's resolution? Okay, so I see two hands, maybe three hands that go up. I'll be honest, I stopped making resolutions years ago because to me they were just resolutions to fail. I knew at some point I would break them. And so I decided I'm not going to make these resolutions. I'm just going to try to change things about my life over the course of the year. But the reality is, is that many of us still like to make resolutions. And, and typically around this time of the year, we start to break them. And we start to, to uh, grow weary in the promises that we've made to ourselves. Uh, but I, I would say this, the year is still fresh. You know, we're one week into the new year. We still have 51 weeks left to go. And so God wants to do a work in our lives. I want to I give God space. I want to give him the space to go to work in our lives. And I would, I would bet, I would almost be willing to bet that if I were to poll the audience here or the congregation... I would be almost willing to bet that some of you, maybe a small minority of you would say, as I look back onto 2022, it was a banner year. Man, I had some successes. I had some victories. God was clearly always faithful to me, but he was, maybe his favor came in abundance this last year. And it was just a really good banner year. Some of you might be able to say it was one of my best years ever. And for those of you who might say that, that's saying a lot. Because I think we can look around and realize there's a lot of years for some of us to choose from, right? Um, others of us, maybe last year was not a banner year. Maybe it was a difficult year. Maybe you wouldn't say that you experienced one of your best years ever. Maybe it was one of your most difficult years ever because that, that thing happened to you. That kind of detracted you. Maybe it destroyed your year. And maybe as you look back on 2022, it will define your year in a negative way. You know, as far as your concern, for those of you who maybe had a rough year last year, maybe your life motto has quickly become, this too shall pass. Um, can I gloat on God just a little bit this morning? I, uh, I know it's always a risk when you kind of brag on God and brag on some of the good things that God did when there might be people in the room that are saying, man, I didn't experience that from the Lord last year and I'm still kind of wallowing in that pain. I'm still kind of trying to, to, to lick my wounds a little bit. I'm still working past my past. I didn't necessarily experience all that you did last year, but I got to tell you, for me personally, man, I didn't want to say goodbye to 2022. I had a really good year last year. It was, I wouldn't say necessarily it was my best year ever, but I would definitely say it was one of my better years. From a spiritual standpoint, I would say that uh, ministry dreams for me came true. Things that I had been praying about for years, being your campus pastor here at Ontario, you don't know this, but I had been praying for five years previous to me becoming the campus pastor that God would move me into a role like this. And so I got to see the answers of a five-year prayer come true. And so that was a huge blessing for me, uh, for my family. 
spiritually speaking, my oldest daughter, she's 19 years old. She got hired here at Crossroads on staff to oversee the children's ministry at our Shelby campus. And I'm super proud of Sydney. I know I share stories of her and sometimes I make fun of her and pick at her and she's not here to defend herself, but I'm so proud of my girls. And Sydney in particular, who's now a colleague of mine on staff here at the church, here's the really cool thing. She got to lead her first person to Christ last year in 2022. There's something different. There's a different kind of joy when God does a work through your children, isn't there? Many of you have experienced that. And so there's so much joy in my heart for what God did on the spiritual end of things in 2022 for me. Now on a physical, on the physical side of things, 2022 did not start out so great for me. I had gotten really undisciplined with my diet. I had gotten really undisciplined with my exercise habits. And to be honest, I kind of let myself go in many ways. I got lazy with some things. And I had ballooned up to the, 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 the largest weight I had ever seen on the scale. And right around March, I had gotten really defeated and discouraged. And I decided I am going to do something drastic to get things under control. I come across, and many of you have heard me talk about this. Maybe I've mentioned it in a sermon or in a personal private conversation, but I came across this, this discipline diet program called 75 hard and 75 hard was every bit of what it's called. It was hard for 75 days straight, no rest days, no cheats, no excuses. I was devoted to about six things specifically. I had to read 10 pages of a nonfiction book every day, no matter what. I had to take a progress picture of my body. And when you look in the mirror and you're already discouraged with what you see and you have to see that every day and put it on a, on a camera, that is not a fun little exercise to do. But I had to do that every day. Uh, for 75 days straight, I had to follow a strict diet that I chose. I was counting calories, really watching what I was eating. I cut out, I cut out all unhealthy sugars out of my life. That means I even had to let go of the Mountain Dew, which was a hard thing for me to do. I cut out all those sugars. I worked out 45 minutes, two different times every day. So I was working out 90 minutes a day. And one of those workouts had to be outside. And it didn't matter if it was snowing. It didn't matter if it was raining. It didn't matter if there was a tornado. I had to work out every day. And if I cheated on any of those things, or if I failed, I had to start all the way over again at day one. And I was not going to fail. On top of all of those things, every day, I had to drink a gallon of water. A gallon of water, folks. <laughs> When you, when you drink that much water every day, you have to plan your day out intentionally. You, you don't leave the bathroom area for very long. And when you have to leave one building and you have to go to the next, you have to think ahead like, where's the next restroom at? Every day I was drinking a gallon of water and it was difficult. So for 75 days I did this and I have to tell you at the end, my body was completely exhausted, but it was also transformed. My mind, I was thinking clearly that I had thought in years. Like, you ever have that brain fog that kind of sets in? It all cleared up for me because I was eating healthy, because I was dieting, because I was working out, because I was reading and I was learning and I was growing. So all that, had, all that brain fog had cleared up and I lost 47 pounds in 75 days. It was drastic and it was extreme and I had to go all in on it. And, I, you know, 
I probably will do it again at some point, but it was not a fun experience. But you know how I did it? By committing. By committing right now. You see, back in February, I was listening to a podcast that was introducing this 75 Hard program to me, and I was, I was listening to the guy that developed the program and his concepts behind it, and he said, listen, if you're thinking about doing this, don't put it off until the right season. Don't put it off until after the holidays. Don't put it off until after that vacation. You have to go all in. You have to commit right now. You need to start not tomorrow, but today, because tomorrow, the convenience will not be there. There will always be something that will distract you. And so I listened to the guy. I decided to commit, and I went all in right then and there, and I got through 75 days of it. At the end, I achieved something that I never thought I was capable of doing. And I realized that sometimes getting the best results tomorrow takes extreme commitment today. And many of you have experienced that same thing in different ways in your life. So you know what? If we want to experience our best year ever, and that's the series that we're in. If you have your program notes, you can open them up and you can start taking some notes. But we're working through the series called Best Year Ever. And if we want to have our best year ever in 2023, it's going to require, like Josh said last week, it's going to require that we remember forward. But it's also going to require that we are are zealously committed to what God wants to do in our future. And we need to, to, to go all in with God and commit now. Not wait until June, not wait until the spring comes. We need to we need to not wait until all of our all of the stars align and all of our ducks are in a row. We need to go into God's word and we need to commit to God and his ways in a fresh and new way today. And it begins today. And I, you know, I think the reality is, is that the older I get, the older each and every one of us get, the easier it is to look at life through the rear view mirror. And we relive the memories of the past. And we kind of naturally kind of forget that there's a race for us to still run. No matter where you are in life, whatever decade you might be in, whether it's your sixth decade, your third decade, or your ninth decade, we still have a race to run, and there's a prize for us to win at the end of that race. And even though some of our races are further along than others, some of our races are certainly further along than maybe the younger generation like millennials and Gen Zers, there is still ground for each and every one of us to cover. There's still work for us to do because one day at the end of our race, as we have run it, we're going to pass off that baton to the next generation and they are going to carry that baton and they were going to run that race and then they will pass it on to the next generation. And so in Joshua chapter 24, Uh, Actually, specifically, as we read in Joshua chapter 1, that's where Moses was. Moses had just gotten done finishing. He just finished his race of 120 years on this earth. He had run his race. He had served the Lord faithfully. He had done more than he ever dreamed was possible for God to do through his life. He had become the leader of a nation. And Moses was handing off the baton to someone who would take the Israelites further than he could take them. So we're introduced to Moses' successor in Joshua chapter 1 that we read just a few minutes earlier. And Joshua becomes the chairman. He becomes the challenger. And he becomes the choice maker that we're going to look at here in the next few moments of a nation. And so we're introduced to the man named Joshua. And in Joshua chapter 1, as we read earlier, God charged him three different times to what? Be strong and courageous. 
be strong and courageous because that's what a life that is wholly devoted and singularly committed to God looks like. And that's what it takes. It takes strength and it takes courage. And so here's Joshua. He has taken this baton from Moses and he has carried Israel into the promised land. And he's about to hand off the baton of leadership to the, um, to the, the leaders of the nation. And at this point, Israel has gone from a bunch of ex-slaves that are wandering through the wilderness. They are now three million people strong, settling into Canaan land. They are settling into the promised land. They have conquered the land mostly. They have divided the land up between 12 tribes. They've settled into the land and they've kicked out most of the previous tenants that were living there. And after 110 years of Joshua walking and running with God, he now hands off the leadership baton to the leaders, the spiritual leaders of Israel. And Joshua presents to them the opportunity to renew their covenant with God um, that, he, that he promised he was going to do certain things if the nation of Israel would stay faithful to them. So if the nation of, of Israel would stay faithful to God, if they would hold up their end of the bargain, then they would receive great favor from God. But it was also going to require great commitment. But if they were to remain faithful to their end of the deal, then God was going to remain faithful to his, and they were going to have their best future ever. Maybe not even their best year, but their best future. And as, as I was reading through Joshua chapter 24, I was thinking about some of the, the, the observations that jumped off the page, and it just seemed to me like it fits so much what we need to apply to our lives today as we commit to the Lord. As we go deeper in our commitments, as we grow in Christ, there are some observations that I want to make When Joshua gives his final discourse to the nation of Israel, he gives this long, extended speech, and he gives gives them some things to think about and some things to apply to their life so that they can move forward in favor with God, and it applies to us today. And he starts his discourse in chapter 24 with a history lesson of all things. And so I want to read to you, starting in chapter 24, I want to read the first six verses, and then we're going to jump down to verse 13. This is going to kind of give a summation of the first half of this chapter. It says this, Joshua gathered all the tribes of Israel to Shechem, and he summoned the elders, um, the heads, the judges, and the officers of Israel, and they presented themselves before God. And Joshua said to all the people, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, long ago, here we go, here's the history lesson, long ago, your fathers lived beyond the Euphrates, Terah, the father of Abraham and of Nahor, and they served other gods. Then I took your father, Abraham, from beyond the river, and I led him through all the land of Canaan and made his offspring many. I gave him Isaac, and to Isaac I gave Jacob and Esau. And I gave Esau the hill country of Seir to possess. But Jacob, his children, went down to Egypt. And I sent Moses and Aaron, and I plagued Egypt with what I did in the midst of it. And afterwards, I brought you out. Then I brought your fathers out of Egypt, and you came to the sea. And the Egyptians, they pursued your fathers with chariots and horsemen to the Red Sea. And so the next several verses goes on to explain exactly what God had done through 40 years of wandering in the wilderness. And then we jump down to verse 13. And this is where... Joshua, God says through Joshua, God is saying, I gave you a land on which you had not labored and cities that you had not built and you dwell in them. You eat the fruit of vineyards and olive orchards that you did not plant. 
Now that history lesson reminds the people of Israel just how good they really had it. Think about that. God delivered them into a land that they didn't deserve. God gave them over to a land that was um, you know, overflowing with milk and honey and it was just fruitful and they didn't have to build cities and they didn't have to conquer on their own. They didn't have to plant gardens and orchards and vineyards. All these things were already there waiting for them because God had given it to him to them. And in pushing the nation, Joshua, uh, in pushing the nation to a renewed commitment with God, Joshua is recounting every big historical moment that happened over the last 40 plus years. In fact, all the way back to their father, Abraham. Which leads me to my first observation about how we can live a fully committed life that might just lead to our best year ever in 2023. Here's my first observation. Commitment looks to the past to understand the way forward. You know, from the day that Israel escaped the clutches of Pharaoh, God had fought for his people and delivered them from their enemies. If you stop and think about it, this nation of ex-slaves, God delivered them. They had no business surviving in the wilderness. This rugged wilderness that they were traveling through and sojourning through, they had no business surviving because they didn't have the water. They didn't have the food. They didn't have the clothing. They didn't have the survival skills on their own. They didn't have what it took to brave the elements. Nor did they have the military weapons or the military might to fight off their enemies. This nation of nomads who only knew brick making. Think about this. They were brick makers. That's all they did for 400 years in Egypt. They were delivered from no fewer than 11 different enemies during their wanderings in the wilderness. And it proved one thing that is a reminder to us today, that God is always faithful to his word and he's faithful to his people, even when we are not. In fact, Joshua reminded the people back in chapter 21, this is what he said in verse 45. He said, not one word of all the good promises that the Lord has made to the house of Israel had failed. All of them came to pass. This is the God that we serve. He is faithful to his word. All of the good things that he says will come to pass and he will not leave us. He will not forsake us. And Joshua just told them that God had never failed them even when they were faint of heart. And so through the first several verses of Joshua 24, he reminds them that God chose them, that God delivered them, that God guided them, and that God gifted them the land. All of these good things, they needed to be reminded of what God had done. So the people looked backwards in order to see the way forwards. And along their wilderness journey over the course of 40 years, nine different times, the Israelites set up stone memorials that would be reminders to them of what God had done and how faithful he had been and how good he was to the people. And I want to just use this as a moment to to, to speak practically to you. I want to say as you look to the past and you draw upon those memories of your past, of God's goodness and his faithfulness to you, let your memories become memorials to who God is. Be reminded of all that he has done, of how he has been faithful and how he has never truly failed you. You know, over the years, I've, um, I've made a point, I've made a habit of jotting down the big things that God has done in my life because I know I'm a forgetful person. I know I have a tendency to 
to, oh man, God did this really cool thing last month and I'm moving on to something new and it's easy for me to forget months and years down the road all that God accomplishes in my life. So I've, I've made a habit of writing things down and I keep folders of notes of all the cool things that God has done and then I share them with you. I share them in sermons because it's a reminder to me, like when I share a story of God's faithfulness to you about what he's done in my life, it reminds me I'm preaching to me of God's faithfulness, but it also hopefully edifies and encourages you of God's faithfulness. And so when I look to his faithfulness in the past, it reminds me that he is the faithful one who holds my future. So when money's tight, when finances are tight, I look to 23, 24 years ago and I'm reminded that God somehow got my wife and I through those moments when we were eating Kraft mac and cheese and frozen pot pies, you know, from Walmart, and that's all we could afford. God, you ever been there? You ever been at that place where, man, you were scraping pennies together just to get by? Man, I'm reminded when I look back on those years that God has always been faithful, and he's still faithful today. You know, when I feel down about the impact of ministry, because every once in a while it's easy to get discouraged, like, am I really making a difference? Is God really using me? Then I'm reminded that somehow, over the course of 24 years of full-time ministry, somehow God has used me to help build his church. When I feel discouraged, when I feel defeated, I look back at all that God has done through me, and I'm reminded of his faithfulness. You know, when I stray from God, because I'm prone to wander just like you are. I'm prone to sin. I'm prone to seasons of sin and temptation and to give in to temptation. I'm always reminded as I look back that God has always forgiven me. He has always been faithful. And as I think upon, as Romans chapter 2 talks about, the kindness of God that leads us to what? Repentance. I'm reminded of his kindness and his goodness, and it draws me back in because he has always been so good to me. Folks, commemorating the past is critical to a future commitment to God. The second observation that I made from this passage of Scripture is that commitments are inspired by high leaders with high challenge. Commitments are inspired by high leaders with high challenge. And this is what we see from Joshua in verses 14 and 15 of chapter 24. This is what he says to the people. Um, Actually, I'm sorry, starting in verse 14. He says, Now therefore... Fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in faithfulness. Put away the gods that your fathers served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. And if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, you choose this day whom you will serve. Whether the gods of your father, your father served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. This is where a high-level leader issues a high-level challenge. He lays it out to the people. He says, listen, you've got a choice to make. You can go this way or that, but as for me and my house, this is the direction that we're going, so follow me. But you can make that decision, and man, we need leaders like this in our lives that can paint the future for us, that can paint the horizon, that can point us on to greater things that we don't think are necessary, necessarily attainable, but they're possible. They inspire us to, to, to chase after something greater in our lives. You know, my daughter, Reagan, my middle daughter, she's 16 years old. She's kind of an introverted, shy, non-risk taker. She doesn't take a lot of risks. 
And I worry about that as a parent because I want her to be able to succeed. I want her to know what she's capable of. But I also want her to be able to fail every once in a while too and realize that that's okay. And so the older that my girls get, the more I push them out of their comfort zones, the more I challenge them to take risks. And that's not easy for a 16-year-old who's used to playing it safe. And so I tell my daughters, I say, listen, Take these small calculated risks now. And if you fail, dad's here, mom's here, we'll catch you when you fall. It's okay. We're not going to set you up for a lifetime of failure, but we are setting you up to succeed. And maybe every once in a while have minuscule failures that you can easily recover from. But we're here to walk along this path with you. So we challenge our girls to take risks. So This last summer, my small group, we went to Florida together. And Reagan had been working on this card trick for for basically the whole vacation. She found this trick. um, I think one of her friends back in Colorado taught her this trick. And she had been kind of perfecting it all week long, practicing it uh, on her sisters and on some of the other teenagers that were on this vacation. She started uh, doing this trick with some of the adults um, that went along the trip with us, and they were all really impressed by it. And I found my moment as a father, I found my challenge moment to inspire her. I said, Reagan, I will give you 10 bucks if you, when we get to the beach tomorrow, if you go up to a random stranger of my choosing and you perform this card trick on them. I said, I'm going to pick who your target is. And she kind of wavered a little bit. And then finally, one of the other, one of the other dads that was on the trip said, Hey, Reagan, when we go to dinner tonight, if you do the car trick, I will buy you whatever you want for dinner. As expensive as it is, I will buy. I said, Reagan, you got to do this because, you know, saving me money at dinner as well. So it worked out really well. So we get to the beach and Reagan steps up like she actually does it. I have video of her going up to a complete stranger about 30 yards down. Down the beach, she finds these guys. I say, that's your target. Go do your trick to them. When you do it, I'll give you 10 bucks. You'll get a free dinner. She does it. She shows up. She does this card trick. And uh, unbeknownst to me at the time, when I picked the guy, I had no idea that he didn't speak English. <laughs> he didn't speak any English. And so he had an interpreter there that was helping him understand what she was doing. I had this whole thing on video. You guys, it was super funny and super cool. But at the end of it, she reveals that she picked his card. Like she knew what card he picked out of the deck of cards. And when she revealed that she knew his card, his mind was blown. Like he was just like beside himself. He's like, what? He's running up and down the beach. It was such a cool moment. Because in that moment, my daughter realized, wow, I can take a risk. Like I can do something more than I thought I was capable of doing. And she was inspired in that moment. Because someone challenged her to do more than she thought she could. It was just such a cool parenting moment. And this is kind of where Joshua is in our text with the nation of Israel, with the people. He's telling them, this is what's possible. This is what you can become. This is what God wants to do if you just see beyond today and your creature comforts of today. He said, man, if you want to live in the favor of God, if you want his blessing, if you want the promise of this land, this is what you have to do. Serve God with sincerity and faithfulness and him only. Put away your other foreign gods and you follow me. And Joshua eventually basically says, hey, do what you want. You choose what you want. But as for me and my house, we choose the Lord. And certainly you can follow me into that. 
So Joshua was a leader, a high-level leader that issues a high challenge. And we all need influencers like that, don't we? We all need leaders who call us to something greater. Leaders who raise the bar, who inspire us, as Pastor Dave likes to, likes to say, they inspire us to charge hell with a squirt gun. We need those kind of leaders. And Pastor Dave, you know, he's that kind of a leader here at Crossroads. I know you don't hear from him often, but from a high level, he is seeing where God wants to take this church and he is calling us into that and he is leading us into that. And sometimes it's uncomfortable. And you know what? He leads me directly and he, he challenges me and he pushes me out of my comfort zone. And so as he makes me a better leader, I then directly lead you. And you know what I want to do? I want to push you out of your comfort zone. I want to challenge you. I want to call you to greater. I want you to see what God wants to do through you in this season of your life. And I know it's not easy. The road isn't always easy, but God wants to do something. And I want to see this campus here at Crossroads, Ontario. I want to see it become a beacon of light, a beacon of hope to this community. I want to see you become a part of that and be used in the mission of Jesus Christ. I want us to glorify God and his son, Jesus Christ, and be a light in a dark place. That means that as I lead you, man, I'm going to push you a little bit. As we get more comfortable together, as you begin to trust me just a little bit more, I'm going to push you a little bit more. I'm going to challenge you a little bit more. I'm going to give you more opportunities. I'm going to make you uncomfortable at times. We're going to make some changes around here. They're not going to be massive changes. You've already started to see some of them. You walked in this morning and guess what? The info center that you're so used to seeing on this side of the lobby, it got moved. Little change, but we're trying to shake things up. You look at the pews in front of you. Anybody see those little communion cup holders that are there? Those weren't there for 45 years, and now they are. Little changes trying to make you better. Next week, there might be a projector. There might be a screen. We're not going to do that every week. We're not going to do that 10 times a year. We might do it once or twice a year where we hear from Pastor Dave. There's going to be changes that come that will hopefully make us better. And I promise you this, I love you enough And I love God's word enough that we're not going to sacrifice what is sacred to God. There may be some things that are very special to you, but we're not going to change the things that are sacred to God. We may change a few things here and there that are special to you, and you may not like all of those changes. But I hope you'll trust me enough to know that I'm not trying to just shake things up just for the sake of shaking things up. I want to make us better, and I want to challenge us to, uh, man, follow God into the next generation. And this is what Joseph did. That's what shepherds do. That's what leaders do. They want more from their people because God wants more for the people. God wants more for each and every one of us. So Joseph threw down the gauntlet and the people responded together, which leads me to my last point. Number three, commitment is strengthened through community. Commitment is strengthened through community. Together, the people responded to Joseph's, or Joshua's challenges. It was pretty cool. Look at verse 16 in chapter 24. This is what Joseph, or I keep saying Joseph. This is what Joshua had to say. And I want you to pay a close attention to a couple of pronouns that we're going to read. Verse 16, then the people answered, far be it from us that we should forsake the Lord to serve other gods. For it is the Lord, our God, who brought us and our fathers 
up from the land of Egypt out of the house of slavery and who did those great signs in our sight and uh, preserved us in all the way that we went and among all the peoples through whom we passed. And the Lord drove out before us all the peoples, the Amorites who lived in the land. Therefore, we also will serve the Lord for he is our God. This is how the people of Israel saw themselves. They were not just a collection of individuals. There's a lot of like plural pronouns in this text. And the Israelites, man, they didn't, they didn't make a bunch of singular resolutions. They made communal commitments. And this is way more than about just me. This is about we. And this is how the people saw themselves. And in an ancient culture, the people didn't see themselves as individuals. They saw themselves as a part of a larger living organism called this nation of, of Jews. They were wrapped up in community. It was every part of them. They didn't see themselves apart from the community of Israel and their families and their tribes and their cities. It was really literally at one point us against them. It's us Hebrews, it's us Jews, it's us Israelites against everybody else. And I think as New Testament Christians, man, we ought to be thinking of ourselves more than as just a gathering of individuals. We need to see ourselves as the body of Christ and everyone members of it. We need to be a part of something that is greater than just me. We need to be we. So we need each other because we're stronger together than we are on our own. And the church needs to be strengthened together for the days ahead and the challenges that the days ahead is going to bring. One of the things I always like to tell people is that we all long to belong. I mean, isn't that true? We all long to belong. We all want to be a part of something. We want to be a part of a team. We want to be part of a community. We want to be part of a church. We want to be part of a family, part of a neighborhood, part of an association. We want to belong to something because that's the way that God wired us. And when we are a part of a, a community of people that is life-giving, that is pointing us to Christ, man, it strengthens our faith. It grows us and it accelerates our discipleship. Think about this in your own life. Think about the spiritual growth spurt seasons that you have gone through over the years. Maybe you had a year or two where man, God just did an amazing work in your heart and your life and you just fell in love with Jesus that much more than you already did. My guess is if you can, if you can pinpoint one of those seasons in your life, my guess is, my bet would be, is that it wouldn't be detached from community. Somewhere along the way, there were other people that were running with you. There were people that were encouraging you and playing a part in you growing in Christ and your love for Christ even deeper. You know, one of the things that we've been telling my girls, another, a little bit of parenting advice that we've been giving to our girls is that the older you get, you need to find a man that is running at the same pace as you are towards Jesus. You don't want to find some guy that's just kind of dragging along and you try to drag him toward Jesus. You just keep running toward Christ. And along the way, as you look to the right, you look to the left, you see another guy running toward Jesus at the same pace as you are. Just look to him and say, hey, Let's run together towards Jesus. Like that is a great way to find a life partner. Find somebody that's running at your pace towards Jesus and run to him. It's the advice that we've been giving our girls, how important that is to be in a God-honoring marriage for your future. But how true would that be for us as well? As, if, as, as we run toward God, as we run toward Christ, if we would look to the right and left and say, 
Hey, you know what? I'm running with Christ. Do you want to run with me? Let's run together towards Jesus. We need community to strengthen our commitment. And we see that from the people in Israel. I see that from this group of people right here in this place. Because 54 years ago, 54, 55 years ago, there was a, a band of people that gathered together and said, you know what? God wants us to do something special in Ontario. So let's start a faith community in Ontario, Ohio. And look what God has done all of these years later because a few unique risk-taking, fully committed individuals following Christ said, let's do something together. And God has changed his community, he's changed his people, and he's changed what he is doing around the world in missions through you because you were faithfully committed and you were strengthened in community. Folks, this is what we want in 2023. I want to see you strengthened in community. I want to see you go deeper into commitment with God. I want to see you become kind of like the people of Israel who devoted themselves to the Lord. And we know the long story that they struggled with that. They were up and down all the time throughout their history. But in this moment, they said, we will serve the Lord. And I think that if we would say that, if we will make that our prayer today, moving into 2023, we might just have our best year ever. Let's pray. Heavenly Father.